I'm ready. I'm recording. Let's do this. The final episode of the Cold Jack Tapes. was not the voice of Carl Kolchak, the reporter known as the Night Stalker, because there was no episode called The Eve of Terror. Well, there was, but it was a script. And we're going to talk about that and a few other last things on the final episode here of the Kolchak Tapes. My name is Mike White. I am joined by Chris Dashu. As always, folks, I'm here for for one last go round with Kolchak. How so did we determine how long it's been since we started this podcast? I think we were saying three years. It's been a long journey, folks, and if you stuck with us this entire time, welcome. The end is here. And we are also joined by our very special guest, the only guest who's ever been on more than two episodes of the podcast, I believe. More with- than once. Well, we had Mark DeWidziak on twice, I think. But he was a guest. He was a special guest. This is a guest co host, and this is Richard Haddam. To think that I beat Mark DeWidziak at anything is amazing, because he's our hero, so I'm just glad to be here. He is the font of Kolchak knowledge. And Columbo, his Columbo book is back in print. I highly recommend it to folks. You know, Mike, if you'd gotten in touch with me earlier, I could have I personally done some of the Kolchak voice, and, and, and uh, you know, I, 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 I'd ha- happily do the voiceover. Richard likes to dress up as Kolchak for Halloween, if you follow him on Twitter. Oh, Jesus. I know, man. I wasn't going to post those pictures. Then my wife did it. She, it. It was like revenge porn. It's a really good costume. You guys, you have to realize the sadness that is my life. I bought the seersucker suit. I tracked down that hat. It, it cost you know so much I'm embarrassed to say. And then I went so far as to find out the exact kind of tape recorder and the exact camera he had, the make, the model, I bought those. I've got the Stan Smith uh, sneakers. I got the whole thing. It, it, the, only, the only thing wrong with it is it's super clean. It's not dirty. It doesn't look like I, I just crawled through a sewer. Here, here's the thing, Richard. I am the kind of person who appreciates attention to detail. And when I built my Ghostbusters costume, I did the exact same thing. So I 100% appreciate someone who's like, I got to get everything down perfectly, screen accurate. So regardless of how much money you spent, uh, that your Kolchak costume is the best one that I've seen. Because I've seen a lot on the internet, and a lot of them are just, uh, what's the term? Phoning it in. (laughs) Well, Chris, next year I think we need to go trick-or-treating together. (laughs) Can I be the matchy mantel? Well, I was thinking you could wear your 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 Ghostbusters outfit. That you oh, that you know, hype, <laughs> but you know, oh, that's true. Had there been a voiceover for this episode, it probably would have gone like this. Most people are familiar with that old Charles Dickens saying, beauty's only skin deep. Yet how many know the rest of the quote, which continues, 
but ugly goes to the bone. And then we would have had Carl's voiceover saying, Myra Dekbar, a behavioral scientist experimenting in acoustical research, was about to find out the hard way. April 14th, 9 p.m., Dr. Dekbar was on the brink of an important discovery. Her technician was on the brink, too, of death. Bum, bum, bum. This episode really speaks to something that we've been talking about about Kolchak since pretty much day one, which is the sexism that is in Kolchak. It is amazing. It's the worst. Well, it's either the worst or the best. I'm really having a hard time figuring out if Stephen Lord was coming at this as a uh, a woke person in 1975 or if he just was making fun of feminism. I think you know the answer. You just don't want to admit it to yourself. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's a little of both in a weird way. There was a lot I was wincing at in this script, but I, I get the feeling they that on some level they thought, hey, we're being super like edgy and political by taking on the, the, the women's movement, by making the main character one of those lady crusader types. But she doesn't even seem like she is one of those Lady Crusader types. And I like how they spe- specify when she goes to a woman's group at one point in this that it is not filled with those typical women's libbers. <laughs> you know, the real man-hating, mannish ones. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I mean. Nudge, nudge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a unique group of attractive feminists. The rare bird, indeed. It's strange to me, this, uh, like I read, April 14th, and I believe the last episode that we covered, I'm not talking about real dates, but I'm talking about Kolchak dates in his world. I believe the last one we talked about was in April 20th and 21st. So this would have been shortly before that. It would have been before the century uh, happened, but... Um, this was supposed to be the episode after the century, if we're supposed to believe everything that we read. It's an interesting one, because this is a monster that we haven't necessarily seen quite so much. It's kind of like a werewolf. I would say, isn't it just a werewolf? But with less cotton balls on their face, maybe? Triggered by sound, which I oh, found interesting. triggered werewolves! Oh, triggered liberal werewolves! Oh my god! You've, it's a woke triggered women liberal werewolf episode, folks. Coljack was ahead of its time. That's right. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, isn't it? Like, that's, that's, they even, like, make reference to it at the end of the episode. They do, and they refer to it as her alter ego. Like, like, I don't know if they were getting at underneath her professional demeanor, she, it has so much rage against the, you know, institutionalized sexism of the world that she works in that the only way she can access it is when her alter ego comes out. It can be because they do, they, they, they kind of like the, the victims that she attacks are like stereotypes of, of sexism in one way or another, right? Spare me the women's lib crap, okay? The first one is her lab tech who basically tells her to go get him some coffee. And then we've got the vivacious starlet who I'm I'm guessing that underneath the surface she's shooting a porn film. Am I supposed to pick up on this correct? She's a sex idol, so yes. 
Well, but is it, I mean, is it, or is she more like Raquel Welch or, you know, Lonnie Anderson? I thought she was a porn star. I was picturing a Raquel Welch type, but I wasn't sure just because this was 75 and Deep Throat had come out. So I was like, is she supposed to be more of a Linda Lovelace? That's what I thought because of the time period. And then she kills uh, the guy, Craig uh, Temple, the uh, producer, the playboy the producer guy. of sexy films. Yeah, he's the producer of sexy films. And, and I was picturing when I was reading it, I was picturing Dick Godier playing the character he played in the werewolf episode. That would have made sense. Yeah. I'm like, oh, if he wasn't that guy, he, he should be this guy. It's a really interesting coincidence. So Carl is on the case of this murder, the initial murder that happens at the scientific facility, because Myra, she gets trapped in a sound booth where they are subjecting these poor test animals to these high frequency things in order to see if they can control their behavior. But for her, it turns her into this beast where they, it's very funny how uh, Stephen Lord, the writer describes the transformation and he will give certain points in the script where he's like, okay, this is stage one and she's got really thick, bushy eyebrows. And now this is stage two over here. So now we've seen stage one. So make it look like this plus stage two. (laughs) And she gets all the way up to stage four before she ends up being dispatched. Yeah. So she ends up being uh, transformed in this state to, yeah, as you said, very much a uh, a Mr. Hyde character, or Ms. Hyde in this case. And she even says it. She even says Miss Hyde. And then she it's dispatches like, of these people. They hang a lantern on it. You know, I wonder if, uh, and maybe I'm giving more credit than, than is due, but I, I wonder if at this point in production, there there was an attempt on the page to sort of say, okay, now... Now, every time there's an attack, don't don't freak out, studio. Don't think that we're we're going to need full makeup in six different scenes. This one is just stage one. It should be fairly easy, fairly cheap. And then we're going to build up to the full makeup that we will only highlight in one scene. Because, I mean, I've, I've had to do things like that sometimes in scripts where, where you really have to indicate, okay, I know you're picturing something super expensive, but this isn't right now. It's just this other thing. So maybe they were doing that. I, I, I know that all they ever talk about is how expensive this show was to make. And maybe that was uh, them trying to be responsible. I mean, it would make sense it being this late in the show that that's what they're going for. And they've kind of done it in some of the other episodes where they've shown like a hint of it and then finally shown it at the end. I mean, that's kind of, Feels kind of stock and trade at this point for the show, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. If they even show it at all. Did you guys think that she was turning into a guinea pig monster? Like somehow there was a like a transfer of something. I think that would have been a lot more interesting than what we got, which was just a bushy monster in a pantsuit, which, I mean, I would have loved to have seen that just for the the comical nature of it, the way that they describe it in the script. It's like, it's a it's a bushy creature in a pantsuit and high heels. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, Kolchak has just given up completely on trying to be serious. Apparently, that gives that gives Kolchak a lot of opportunities to go. I don't know. Maybe he's some weird cross dressing weirdo. <laughs> That's aged really well, hasn't it? 
cross-dressing weirdo. How many times do they say that in the script? Uh, is one time more than enough? Because they say it like four times. I'm glad that they have a character in here that is a masher. I haven't heard that term in a long time. That was amazing. And of course, he had to be punished because he's a masher. So he got his comeuppance when the, when the crazed female monster killed him. I don't even know what a masher is. Basically, it's a perv. Okay. It's just a guy who's like always on the hunt, really sleazy. So yeah, that that Dick Gautier type character again from uh, the werewolf episode. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what I figured because it was more or less heavily implied. I kept thinking of her looking more like that little guy from Altered States that William Hurt turns into. I I get it. Now I want to go back and watch Altered States. Maybe I should watch Altered States for the first time. It's a good one, Chris. Oh, dude. Oh, you should. Oh, for sure. You should do that one on your thing. Yeah. With that podcast thing you do. That podcast thing that I do. What is a Tom Hanks movie all of a sudden? <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. If we're talking about this, this script being in line with things we've already read and or watched, it's very close. It doesn't break the mold. It doesn't do anything remotely interesting or different. The only thing in my mind that it does kind of different is it actually gives Kolchak like a love interest at the end. Well, okay, but 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 here's the thing: I, I would I would give anything if if that were like I would lean into that because what Gwyneth, the model who lives next door to Myra, uh, she's just sort of like at the end, Kolchak is literally dragging her around because she's so terrified i guess she can't control her motor functions or something and then at the end she's just kind of sitting there but like wouldn't it have been cooler if like somewhere two-thirds of the way through they crossed paths and started like teaming up and figuring things out and she could have done a couple cool things at the end and then when they walked off at the end it wouldn't feel just sort of like when when kolchak says i know what rings my bell it was just sort of like, oh, boy. Well, that also, again, just really kind of, for me, rings tone deaf and like kind of not cringe worthy, but uh, it hasn't aged well. It's like, I know what rings my bell. It's like, oh, man. Nothing happens down at my feet. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. That. Oh, Jesus. That's. Oh, my God. That's right. There's that line, too. No, don't forget that line. <laughs> How could I? Oh, wait, which one? The nothing happens at my feet. The the porn starlet type lady. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Right. They'll have right. men oh at God. your feet. Yeah. yeah. Nothing happens down there. Well, you know, in in the first in the, in the first Kolchak movie where he actually has a girlfriend, it, it's heavily implied, or or maybe it's even stated outright that she's a prostitute, and. You know, and he's dating her, and and it's not like they've got the most evolved relationship in the world, but it's clear they have a relationship. They like each other. He confides in her. She helps him out. You know, there's they're they're on somewhat equal footing because she's kind of on the outside because she's a prostitute, and he's kind of you know the down on his luck reporter. So they they almost share the same like social strata. Like, like if, they, if they just could have gone a little more in that direction, this could have been really fun. Well, even had it been, you know, I, I'm trying to remember the, the name of that character that was on quite a few episodes that ended up getting murdered. I think it might have been on the Ripper episode where she had some agency and actually 
was going to be helping out Kolchak, and then she gets murdered. It was like, oh, well, that would have been good had you actually had someone there to help you with this stuff. Right. Yeah. Jane Plum. Yeah. That one. Yeah. They seem to really just kind of miss the mark a couple times with these female characters. I mean, look, like we've mentioned, it's 1975. That's not surprising, but they're not availing themselves to even try. But it does make you wonder if they were, if they sort of would have naturally just found their way to, okay, we need to give him a character, a person he can talk to, somebody that can sort of be on his side a little bit, you know, outside of the newsroom. I I wonder if they, given a second season, would have just stumbled upon that and it would have happened and it would have been a, you know, a female co-star under the age of 85. Um, I, I would like to believe that they kind of would have have to have. We should probably talk about the role that Vincenzo and Updike and I don't think poor Miss Emily even gets a, a mention in this one, does she? Don't you mean Updike? Oh, that joke's got whiskers <laughs> got him. on it. Oh, good Lord, Kolchak. You're one note joke over and over an episode and over again. Well, Vincenzo does come in to tell Kolchak to go cover Veronica Mason why don't you go get interested in sex, Kolshak? You know, I mean, isn't that pretty much his approach? Come on, Kolshak. Even you could get aroused by this woman, you sexless. <laughs> what did he imply? You eunuch. Yeah. <laughs> you eunuch. And then, oh, yeah, oh, like anyone who's been, who's over puberty or something, she gives hot flashes to every male over puberty. And that's when Kolshak says he skipped puberty. Which, I mean, you know, Clearly, Darren McGavin was born that way, out of the womb, so. So are you saying that Kolchak was an incel? I mean, in another, is it in this episode where he implies that he has bald women all over town who love him? Yeah, hey man, I got chicks all over town pulling their hair out over me, but who cares about those bald-headed broads? Yikes, Kolchak, big yikes. Yeah, I take it back. Miss Emily is in this one when they're talking about uh, the 1930s and what a better time it was. I don't know exactly how they get into that whole thing, but um, yeah, it's definitely there. What was going to distinguish this episode was that it had a political angle to it. But man, it's, it's handled so clunkily. You don't really get the sense that anyone in the show like comes around on it. Like Kolshak doesn't go, Oh, wait a second. I get it. The people who are getting killed are people who are assholes. Oh, and they're, <laughs> and they're assholes because of their attitudes toward sex roles. So maybe we need to start thinking about that. I mean, there's no, there's nothing like that at all. Like in the, in the Rakshasa episode, at least he was sort of like, hey, you know, this is really sad because there's a monster preying on old people and old people are a problem that society has to deal with and no one cares about them and I'm the only one who cares that they're being killed. So it was like it was like one step closer to like integrating whatever the point of the episode was. Here, he, he never quite gets there. I don't know. This episode, it just kind of peters out as well. It goes exactly how we think that it would go, pretty much. Other than... Myra actually getting a tape recorder and recording herself, and then that's kind of her confession. I don't think he necessarily would have put two and two together and figured everything out unless it had been for that confession. 
he goes in and he's like, Myra, there's a, a, a man snuck into your lab that night. It's like, what? No, no, wrong. Answer, Kolchak. How are you so wrong? Do you know what really confused me is that one of her bosses, who's a total dick to her. Has a female name. Has a female last name. And I was just like, what is this? I'm so glad I wasn't the other one. I was I, the only one. I was like, what? Kim? Oh, it's a guy with the last name. I mean, just wait until the next episode when one of the characters has the name of Peoples. And if you put the character with the name of Peoples in your script, you deserve to be f- fucking smacked upside the head. Because it is such a bizarre name choice. Like, you had all these names and you went with Peoples. Really, all it makes me think of is the Al Franken vote recount where they're talking about lizard peoples and can lizard peoples be called an actual person's name? And they go, well, people can have the last name of peoples. Yeah, yeah they, they sure can. There you go. Yeah, God. So I think we should talk about that episode, don't you? There would be narration, but it's actually, I guess it's uh, its just in script form. It's missing pages, it looks like. But there is narration at the beginning, and since you did this one, I'll do this one. That was the scene in Winship County, West Virginia. Labor trouble in the mines wasn't breeding nobility on either side. Tempers were worn to the breaking point. It was ugly, but what was moving into Winship County would make the strike seem like a wedding party. But wait... Did you notice that Kolchak looks into the camera? Are they saying that he addresses the audience? Is this another breaking the fourth wall moment? It's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. Well, he did that at the end of which episode? Was it the Sentry? Yes. I think so. Yeah, because that's the one. Wait, or the Youth Killer? Well, it was whichever one where the script actually had him start off in a mental institution. Oh, that was Nightly Murders. Nightly Murders. Thank you. Yeah. That wasn't one that we watched. That was one that we read. Oh, that's right. They changed it for the for the thing because they didn't actually have him in the Looney Bin. Right. They ch- Yeah, that wasn't the ending, which, again, bummer, because Eve of Terror looks like, uh, you know, uh, Citizen Kane compared to this episode. This episode is uh, uh, atrocious. I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it. I liked it, too, Chris. I actually <sighs> liked it better than Eve of Terror. Just don't tell me you liked it better than The Executioners. <laughs> because I like The Executioners a lot more than I like this one. It's Kolchak on tour. He's down in West Virginia. And it is this whole story that's supposed to be about a strike. But then these strange people move into town. The bunch of hillbillies, pretty much. And then some murders start happening. And they think that it's all because of the strike. And I kept being reminded of home. I kept being reminded of that X-Files episode because there's this whole thing with the family and you don't know exactly what's going on. And one of the brothers is completely deformed. We never really get a good look at him. Then there's the mother character who it feels like she's making him worse because she keeps doing the Lord's work. She'll pray and 
people will almost come back from the dead or they'll be calmed or whatever. And when she does that, then the brother acts out wherever he's at and will break out of his cage or go on a rampage. So it feels like there's this weird connection between the two of them that the better she is, the worse he gets. It's almost got like a Twilight Zone feeling to it. It struck me as interesting that Kolshak was sort of involved in a supernatural story. Like it wasn't just, oh, there's a monster, but there was, but there was another character who had a supernatural ability that he witnessed, which like doesn't happen in this show. Like he doesn't go to psychics. There, there is no greater supernatural sort of matrix on the night stalker other than whatever that particular monster is. So he's interacting with his family. That's got this weird yin and yang. That's always, battling itself, you know, I I thought was really interesting. This reminded me a lot of The Devil's Platform. They have touched on this satanic stuff once before. Uh, I don't think it worked very well now compared to the last one. But to be fair, the last one was hilarious because Tom Skerritt turned into a dog at the end. I still wonder who ended up with that dog. (laughs) Roaming the universe as the Tom Skerritt dog? That in and of itself, I would watch that show. But I'll tell you what, again, this episode, like last one, pretty much stock and trade what we've been seeing with Kolchak. It doesn't do anything particularly different. I mean, to your point, Richard, it maybe maybe kind of bends the formula a little bit, but it doesn't really change the formula. It looked like in this one, the, the police chief, the sheriff of the town, was actually like a reasonable person. And he and Kolchak seemed to sort of get along, or at least have an understanding at the beginning, uh, but then it devolved into the typical, you know, get out of here, get, get away from me, you're crazy, which is really, really exhausting. Yeah, at least this time he didn't have an ulcer that kept uh, acting up every single time Kolchak was around. Hey, how weird was that in the last one? That that felt just like the Keenan Wynn character, the uh, Joe Mad Dog sister. Almost identical to a point, to a fault. It wasn't even original. They were trying. It was weird. They were trying to play it off as original. I'm just like, you do know you've done this before, right? I mean, if you're going to have this traveling cast of police captains that are always blowing their top, you're going to get some real similar characters pretty soon. I guess, but then they should just use the same character. Exactly. And they had Mad Dog at least twice. So go ahead, give them a third one. Keena Wynn could use the money. You can't just do voiceover and claymation christmas that's right he's not only the winter wizard (laughs) nice oh very good very good Uh, it could be wrong he could be the winter warlock i'm not sure but but he's not old chris kringle he's not the king of jingling no that's the next podcast you guys that's all the rank and bass shows and specials i think i'm like the only person on the planet who doesn't like those so it's you and me richard our new show Sorry, Chris. Richard, Richard and Mike taking on Rankin and Bass. We could get ourselves claymated. It'd <laughs> Rankin be fantastic. Rankin on Bass. Rankin on ba- This guy right here. Now it's a thing. You have willed it into existence, and this is your fault now. <laughs> so I don't think we necessarily get a good look at the creature in this one. And I want to say that at one point they describe him as being non-symmetrical, which I think is always super terrifying if somebody isn't symmetrical, because there's a comic book adaptation of this where basically the character 
just looks like a hot werewolf. And I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, why is he a hot werewolf <laughs> as opposed to this monstrous, shambling, crazy beast that I kept picturing as being like the thing behind the door in the brain that wouldn't die or something, you know, something that can really terrify you as opposed to like, I don't know, he looked like he had tried out for Scooby-Doo and they're like, no, no, we need something scarier. Are all werewolves not hot? Well, some of them are a little bit more hulking, but this guy, he just looked like a dashing werewolf and i and again i kept thinking that he would maybe look worse or get worse or be bigger or something being fed by when mama goes out and does some good then he ends up being worse i just think of hulking werewolves they have more arms and strength to hold you with that's what i think about i bet you say that to all the boys i i think the game we have to play is Based on what we've seen of the creatures in the first 20, we have to assume that is the level of creature we're going to see in these, which means he's, he won't even look as good as a hot werewolf. He, he's going to look like a guy with some... He's probably going to look like the werewolf we saw in the werewolf episode. He's, he, he's gonna, it's going to be a dude running and looking like of a hairy ape wolf or something. Is it not weird that they have two werewolf episodes back to back? You're considering Eve of Terror to be that? I mean, Eve of Terror is a werewolf-esque creature. Esque, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, bushy creature in a pantsuit. I'm just focusing on the pantsuit. A a, a mint green pantsuit, too. I'm going to try to defend the, the, the difference of the monsters conceptually, but again, I just said we have to imagine it's going to be pretty much the kind of thing we've seen. So I don't know how they would have differentiated these two creatures, but I, I have to imagine the end result would have been disappointing, unfortunately. I mean, I think the real thing about this one is is this one isn't seen in daylight as much as the other one is. And so they would have kept this one off screen as much as possible and then shown it to you right at the end. And that's the big difference between this episode and Eve of Terror is that in Eve of Terror, you see the monster a lot in this. You're seeing just glimpses of the monster in a bush or hiding outside of a door or busting through a door. And then you see it right at the end, still probably obscured by darkness in the mines. If you had $5 million to make this episode and $5 million to make Eve of Terror, I think this episode would be much, much better. Like, I think what I don't like about Eve of Terror is on the page and no amount of money is going to make me like it any better. But, but if you, if you threw a ton of money and made and went out somewhere that didn't look like Los Angeles, which was where they filmed it. And you really made it look like some weird mining town and you went in the mines and you really had a good monster and you could actually put some production value into it. I think this has more potential to be an interesting episode. I would agree 100%. I want to talk about the title real quick, because we don't necessarily understand what the title means. Well, I still don't know what the title means, but we don't know who Belial is until right at the end of this thing, when the mother says that... um, it was Belial's way of tempting, uh, tempting me. And then Kolchak has to say, Belial, the devil. And then she says, yes, Sonny was a beautiful child. Then the changes began. I was healing the sick as my God commanded. 
and that's pretty much it. Like they talk a little bit more about Belial, but I still don't necessarily get the get. The definition for get is an offspring or the total of the offspring, especially of a male animal. So it, yeah, it's like a, a really, I wouldn't say like obscure, but it is a very antiquated term that nobody uses anymore. Well, thank you for finding that. Yeah, I mean, it's on dictionary.com. I mean, it's that's the weird thing. Like, I'd never heard it either, and I looked it up, and I was like, I've never even heard anyone use that until today. All yeah, right. Like, well, why, why, thank you for going in the most obscure direction with the word possible. That's the coolest conceptual part of the whole episode, that that this demon sort of went to this woman who already had this power that's associated with God and said, okay, well, I'm going to fuck with your kid, and all you have to do is stop serving God, he, 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 and you can have your kid back. And then she makes the decision where she says in that same little chunk of dialogue, I had to believe that God is more powerful you know, than the devil, basically. I had to believe that God was stronger than the devil. So, so she's like, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing and trust that God will solve this problem with Belial. So get, by the way, get comes from beget. So that's where that comes from. Oh, very Deuteronomy-esque. Thanks, Kolchak. It's fun and educational. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! Plus, they're in Appalachia, you know. It's, they're in that area where, you know, it's kind of bible Praise be. And I guess in a strange way, the Lord does help out by sending Kolchak in order to pretty much murder the kid. Accidentally. <laughs> Kolchak. God's child murderer. <laughs> I know. He trips over Kolchak and falls down a pit that's a mile long. Just like the uh, Eve of Terror. She falls off the building after he throws the TV antenna that's like an octopus somehow, for some reason. Somehow. You know what they call this? Parallel thinking. She ends up transforming back into who she was. And Sonny... He ends up transforming back into his self, and so yeah, two weeks in a row, that would have been a little much. Should we assume that they were going to be aired back-to-back? I guess no, but the way that we're reading them, they are labeled 21 and 22, so... I am very curious, because I didn't see a date, like how I was saying the other one takes place April 14th. I don't remember there being a date in Kolchak Land for this one. Kolchak Land dates never make any sense but on the script yeah get of belial is january 3rd 1975 and then eve of terror is dated march 3rd 1975 so they were three months apart in terms of drafts i guess and then from what i understand it sounds like the executioners which is the last kolchak script that was written but not produced sounds like that one seems like it was written a lot earlier than these two and it just kind of fell out of favor or something what we have to go off is barely a script it is like someone filling in the blanks of a script it's uh, half-baked kind of like uh kind of like mike's dinner right now (laughs) three quarters baked folks three quarters baked (laughs) 
So the intro to this episode would have been, I'm still having nightmares, even though I know it's over. Fini, kaput. Luckily, I managed to keep my head while all around me were losing theirs, if you'll pardon my little touch of the poetic. Losing their heads, or getting hung, or poisoned, one of the three. If you were in Chicago this past August, there we go, August, you know what I mean. So yeah, them placing this at August definitely places it much more in the first batch of shows than all the way here at the end of it. And Kolchak is getting hung, apparently. They said you was hung! And they was right. Boy, what a weird choice of words. He's getting hung, folks. Okay. But I'll tell you what, this Kolchak in this episode is very, 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 very much closer to the Kolchak from the movies than the Kolchak of the TV show. I would tend to agree with you on that, yeah. I mean, he's drinking, he's... I mean, they mention in this kind of synopsis we're reading from this, like, defunct GeoCities website that he's, like, drinking alcohol and he has sex with, like, a student who's much younger than he is. So, yeah, it's like I felt it was very much shades of, like, Kolchak of old, which, if you've been listening to us this entire time, you will know that I missed that Kolchak because the tone of the show, in my mind, always kind of let the character down because he could have been so much more hard boiled than he ended up being. Yeah. And the character Beatrice that he hangs around with the art student, she's an actual character. She actually participates in the story. She has a voice. They seem to like each other. Uh, It's actually a weirdly appealing relationship. Yeah. I was reminded a little bit of the reporter that he was kind of flirting with, but also tormenting in Demon in Lace. If almost going to say my girl Monique Marmelstein, dog. One love. Monique Marmelstein. Oh, R.I.P. Monique. Oh, God. She's the best character in the show. She was fantastic. I think it was uh, Rosalind Winters might have been her name. She worked as a reporter at the college where all those uh, murders were taking place. Because this one is an art student who knows a lot of stuff about art. I am very impressed with her knowledge, especially when she starts talking about very obscure Dutch painters. Right, and the theory of dynamic symmetry. And I like how she's like, that sounds good, right? Put that in the story. I mean, I like a female character that actually has some pushback on Kolchak. That's true. Yeah, any yeah. any woman yeah. who can actually hold her own in a Kolchak world, that's great. And we're not just talking Gabrielle Union holding her own, because... That's, like, formulaic holding her own. Like, in this, you genuinely can tell that the character of Beatrice is, like, actually holding her own against Kolchak. That's like ratting out Jay Leno for being an asshole holding her own. (laughs) Shocking. Shocking. (laughs) Jay Leno makes off-color jokes that are offensive. Uh, In other news, the sky is blue and water is wet. This one, it was interesting to read this right after having read uh, Eve of Terror, because there's that same thing where Tony is immediately trying to get Carl off of the story, and rather than saying, go cover this starlet who's coming to town, he gives him the choice of writing obits, art, or about the ballet. 
And then just like how Kolchak kind of lucked into being at the right place at the right time when it came to Myrna being at the hotel where the starlet was, this is the same thing. He ends up going to this art place, and that's where the painting is, and that's where the whole crux of this episode is, which for people listening at home, there is a painting of these executioners, and they uh, it sounds like they keep coming out of the painting and hanging poisoning or beheading people and that always happens in threes and then it sounds like this has been happening for a long time it's kind of one of those victor tomb type things where there's a pattern in history jeepers creepers asked every 23 years da 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 boy that's such a it's such an easy trope to go back to but you know what i'm not gonna lie to you guys i kind of like it like i kind of always give it a pass as long as it's mildly entertaining well, if there was just like slightly more of a reason, like like in this version, in this draft that admittedly, I guess, is not a final draft, it's happening for no reason. I mean, you know, God forbid I, I bring up the nightly murders, but at least the knight was killing people who were trying to turn his museum into a discotheque. Now, there's a solid motivation. These guys, I don't know. It's interesting, though, that you bring that up because with this episode, there's the red herring of the person who had gotten the painting, even though we find out later that it actually was like a distant relative of his. Distant, 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 infinitum distance right. is what he says. Which is interesting because it, it was kind of like the character in the Nightly Murders where we're like, oh, well, he probably summoned this creature, this knight, because he's so protective of his museum. Whereas this one, it's like, okay, why did you hang this painting? What are you doing? But there is a connection between the two, but he ends up being murdered, so it's not like he had anything to do with it. He is Vigo! That's what I thought of. I thought of Ghostbusters too. It's like, and then the ink blob was falling off of the thing. It's like, oh my god, this is Ghostbusters 2. 20 years, you know, 15, 16 years before the movie even came out. Oh lord. Didn't seem like, like in the nightly murders, Hans Conried was was upset at all those people too. So there there seemed to be an emotional like there's no it's not like the enemies of the museum curator are the ones being killed. It's just it appears to be, at least in this draft, random people. And by the way, a lot of random people. I mean it's like this is the third or fourth triple murder this week. That's like a dozen people. That's a lot of dead bodies in a week. And the cops are like, oh, these aren't connected at all. They all just happen to die the same way. Like, my God, the cops, the cops in Kolchak universe in this episode are the most inept that we've seen. The courageous police officers of Chicago, and I know some of them, and they're the most incredible people. They could solve this problem quickly. Afghanistan is a safe place by comparison. <laughs> It's true. There's a war on our streets, and there's three painting globs that are starting it all. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty whack, let's put it that way. In, in, in the middle of the episode, there's this really weird thing that I can't figure out about some old gangster, an Italian guy who has a Tommy gun. <laughs> what they the hell was that? Yes! I no fucking clue what the hell it was about either. <laughs> 
That was I literally so couldn't figure weird. it out. Like it wasn't that, oh, I get it, but I don't like it. I literally I've read it four times and I'm like, I don't understand the words that are coming out of his mouth. <laughs> what is that? None of it tracks. And in this little synopsis that we have here, they just like gloss over it. They're like, oh, no, whatever. Like, good, good job. If you're the ones relaying this information to us because maybe you have more of this on hand than we do, could you fucking explain this? Because this is completely bizarre. It's a guy with a Tommy gun just shooting at Kolchak. <laughs> like, like, literally out of nowhere shooting at Kolchak. Oh, don't forget one of my favorite things that this script has, too, which is just, you know, some homophobia just thrown in there for good measure. Oh, the swishy window dresser. I imagine he would have been played to the hilt. Updike would look like Burt Reynolds. I mean, as much as I like this, this is a working draft. This is not a final screenplay. This is, I mean, Richard, you're a screenwriter, so you know. I mean, like, this is pretty far from something that anyone would be like, yeah, let's shoot this. Like, this needs... This scene's a couple more takeovers with the fucking comb. Like, you got to comb this down a lot. Like, a lot, a lot, a lot. Well, you know, I, I sort of, I, I fell down a rabbit hole when I was reading this and, and clicked on a few things and came up with a a taped interview with David Chase. Have you guys seen that one where he actually talks a little bit about working on The Night Stalker? Very brief. Have you guys seen Yeah, it's, it's like a, just a real brief talk, yeah. right? Yeah, he doesn't go into a ton of detail. I mean, I, I, you know, would have wanted, you know, 10 hours, but, but he, he does sort of say, you know, they don't all, unlike the way TV shows are written now, for the most part, where everyone is in a room, everyone is collaborating, everyone knows what's going on with everybody else's script. It sounds like it was, it was David Chase working with Michael Causal a lot, just sort of the two of them writing stuff. And then other people sort of on their own, doing their own thing. And then more and more of the scripts would get handed over to David Chase to sort of like, okay, here, this one is 50% of the way there. Get it right. We're shooting it next. And so then he would do, he would do the next pass. So I don't know if that's, maybe that is what would have been the process with this had it gone forward probably would have been the same thing with get of Belial and Eve of terror. It probably would have gotten a David chase go through and to, to make it whatever it was finally going to be. I find it interesting that Max Hodge allegedly worked on the night stalker movie, uh, at least according to the font of all knowledge, which is the IMDB, which has to be believed because it is Praise the IMDb. me to Mother IMDb. You are all knowing. Praise be to IMDb. It is the Mother Father bot. Yes, it would kind of make sense, especially if this was more in line with that earlier Kolchak. I wouldn't be surprised if they said, "Hey, bring this guy back and have him write an episode." I mean, the the tones track. I mean, original Night Stalker does have Kolchak straight up murdering a dude, which is still my favorite thing. And by the way, in that uh, in that parody comic, they they go after that bit, which I was so thankful for. They go after that bit of Kolchak just murdering a guy in broad daylight because Marvel, yes, that Marvel parodied Kolchak, folks. So, well, not only did they parody Kolchak like outright as uh, what was his name. Kolstak. 
Cole Shaft. Cole Shaft, thank you. But he also showed up in an episode of Tomb of Dracula, but not as Kolchak. He was another dude who looked exactly like Kolchak, and it was like, what are you doing? So that was good that they brought him into Tomb of Dracula so that he could hunt down Dracula in that. So are we being led to believe that the biggest revelation of the Kolchak Tapes podcast is that Kolchak is part of the MCU? Oh, wow. Am I wrong to say that? He could be out there. Kevin Feige, call us. I always find it interesting how the comics would try to... I mean, I know that EC and Mad, you know, that they eventually... The EC turns into DC... But it was always strange to me that Marvel was always trying to eat their lunch a little bit, and they would have things like this Og comic or uh, Crazy magazine where they were, uh, again, trying to do the mad stuff. And that's where, if, if memory serves, I can't remember exactly the story, but I remember reading Crazy, and there always being a Howard the Duck story in there. And I never understood, like, is this supposed to be funny or is this serious? I never could put my finger on what Howard the Duck was until the movie came out, which just solved everything for me and gave me the full origin story. Thank goodness for that. Oh my God. Howard the Duck is one thing and one thing only. Duck erotica. (laughs) Interspecies erotica, my man. Duck titties and Leia Thompson wanting to have sex with a duck. But I don't know if that's not what you're into. I I don't want to be a friend. In all seriousness, back to what you're saying about Marvel, it is weird that they're, like, really just being kind of aggressively parody-concerned, right? Because DC doesn't do that. When did all that – when was the Marvel stuff? When when did that stuff happen? Well, the Tomb of Dracula one was 1976, uh, and I can't remember when the ARG comic was. Do you have that one up in front of you, Chris? Uh, July 4th. Fourth, seventy-five. That was going to be my guess. So yeah, it was at seventy-five. So it's the year that Kolchak is off the air, right? Right. Yeah. So it would have just been right after they went off the air, because that would have been what March twenty-second. I think might have been the last episode. Yeah. So there you go. I mean. They've, you've got a Kolchak comic parroting it, and it's like, oh boy, you're parroting a show that's been canceled. Maybe they were acknowledging that the character, like like it was sort of a tribute to that character. Clearly, even at that stage, they were like, this is a character that if we parody it, people will know what we're doing and oh, I mean, appreciate it, I guess. Mm-hmm. They have Vincenzo in there and everything. And Vincenzo, is his character's name is Vinegretto, right. which is... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty great. And then it turns out at the end that Vincenzo is a monster the whole time. Uh, which, honestly, if you think about it, and the fact that Kolchak's stuff never gets printed, and sometimes he has proof, that's kind of the only explanation that makes sense. I'm so surprised that they didn't get... Well, I guess it's under parody law, because they drew Darren McGavin to look really like Darren McGavin. There was oh, yes. no fooling that. The first time we see a close-up of him, he looks exactly like him as the Night Gawker. Of the things that we read for this episode, that was my favorite, because it was poking fun at it, but also like very much doing deep-cut stuff from the show. It's not just like... Oh, let's make fun of Batman. You know, everybody knows Batman's parents died, so that's an easy thing to make fun of. It's like, 
no, but did you know X, Y, Z other things about Batman that are like deep cut information to parody? Fitting in with our entire discussion this evening, you know, he goes out and he's defeating or unmasking all of these different creatures and he even shoots a werewolf and then there's the human body on the ground and people are like, hey, the night gawker killed this guy. (laughs) It's like straight to the point. It, It completely understands. It understands the premise of the show. To a T, and I loved it. I, I thought it was a great. I mean, it's like eleven pages on a PDF. It's a, it's funny. You should, if you can find it, search it out. It's worth your five minutes if you're a fan of the show and if you've never seen it. It's actually really funny. I mean, you know, I know that there's a lot of comics out now that are from these indie publishers that are like actual Kolchak stories, but this is a a Kolchak story that uh, it's fun and it honestly still kind of feels like a Kolchak story, like a best. Like uh, the greatest hits of Kolchak. Yeah, did you get a chance to read any of those books? I didn't because I just didn't get a chance to. That's fine. Things happen. Life gets you in the did, way. Though. I listened to one and a half so far. Um, and the one that I listened to fully, I enjoyed, though it felt like it ended before it really began. It was this whole thing of there are these 72 guys who watch over this cave and they are constantly chanting and there's like a bunch of people on the side. So like if one passes out, then he can be replaced and they have to just keep chanting all the time. And so, okay, it's the whole thing is what's in the cave. And then eventually Kolchak gets uh, kind of swindled by these people in L.A., his fellow reporters who they pat him on the back because he managed to accidentally, basically accidentally uh, unmask a serial killer. So they're like, hey, you know, come on with us. And then he finds out that basically they need him as a cover story because it's this really crazy thing that they're about to do, which is to go through the jungles of Peru and try to find this guy, uh, try to find these guys, these 72 guys. And there's a drug Lord who happens upon them and takes them prisoner basically and take and marches them through the jungle. I kept thinking of Indiana Jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull, especially when all these ants show up, but they're just there to show Kolchak the way to the cave. They get to the cave some bad things happen that we don't see, and Kolchak's, he's almost, again, like Indiana Jones. He doesn't open his eyes. He's hes not privy to whatever they're seeing. And then all of the people that he was with, all of the drug lords people, there just happens to be 72 of them after they massacred the original 72, and they all sit down and they start chanting. And it's just like, okay, so the end. It was a really quick read or a really quick listen. It was like three hours long. It was okay, but it really kind of felt like maybe we should have seen what was in the cave. It sounds like this is what happens when you're not tied to a budget. Right. (laughs) Kolchak goes to the jungle. Right. Oh, like, do you know what made Kolchak good? Because Kolchak going to the fucking jungle is not something I ever even wanted. Well, that's what all of these ancillary things seem to be, are individuals kind of going, well, you know, here's what would have happened or should have happened. And I guess they're they're leaning toward whatever it is they like. If they like Indiana Jones, maybe they feel like Kolchak is like that. But but every time I think about the show and when I first saw it, when I was eight years old, um, 
the thing that really blew me away that, that I couldn't get over was the fact that all this stuff was happening in a big city. And, and somehow that was everything for me. It, it was just, it looks like a typical cop show, except it's acknowledging that there's monsters and ghosts and supernatural stuff. And, and I live in Los Angeles. So when I was driving around, you know, my parents were driving the car and I was looking at big buildings. I was like, Ooh, I wonder what, I wonder if there's a monster out there. You know, it, it, it brought all that supernatural stuff, you know, right home. And, and, in a way that felt like the freshest, most avant-garde thing that could possibly be done with, with a ghost story. And that's what appealed to me. So, if, you know, God forbid anyone had put a gun to my head and I had to write another Kolshak story. That, that is the first thing it would involve. It would be in a city and it would be what is happening just out of sight, just, uh, you know, underneath the buildings, just in the shadows, the alleys, what's happening that you're not seeing. I will give the the reboot of the show credit for sticking to that formula. And I agree with you 100%, Richard. And I don't know for you, Mike, what drew you to Kolchak. Because initially, the entire onus of this podcast was you asking for a co-host. And me going, I have watched the show since my dad bought it for me on DVD when I was like 14. And that's what drew him to it uh, when he was about your age, Richard. Because my dad is probably close to your age as well. And... That was what drew him to it, and that's what drew me to it. As a fan of the X-Files, I didn't even know the connection until after I watched the show. It is that out of the corner of your eye in a city, because I grew up in Dallas, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, the God knows what's going on underneath, but the veneer on top is, you know, a normal city. And, like, that's what drew me to Kolchak, and that's why I'm saying, like, the whole thing about, I don't need to see Kolchak in the fucking jungle any, any more than I need to see Kolchak in space. Like, fuck, fuck off. Like, I don't need to see it. Like, that's that's putting the character so far in one direction that it almost loses any of the charm of what made the show so great. And that's why I will still contend the show should have been set in Vegas the entire time. Because Vegas was the perfect setting for Kolchak because of the 24-hour nature of the city. Exactly. And that whole sin city and just people looking the other way. I mean, it's easier. Yeah. We've got mobsters in Chicago, but we've got a mob presence in uh, Las Vegas just as much, if not more. So that would have been great. There could have been stories with the underground. Yeah, Yeah, there could have been so many things. And then you can easily move him to L.A. story, a desert story, just so many different places he could have gone had he needed to go there. Yeah, my biggest issue with the show was moving it to Chicago, because Chicago, as interesting of a setting as it is, it's not unique. And I think, uh, what, Barney, is Barney Miller set in Chicago or is it set in New York? New York. Okay, so, you know, it's gonna, it's, there's no monsters in Barney Miller, but there is a Vagoda, so, you know... And you will definitely see what New York of the 1970s was like as represented through uh, humor in this one. And I will tell you one other thing about Kolchak, because if I had my way, if someone put a gun to my head, Richard, my Kolchak story would be, it's kind of already got written in the X-Files where you had an older Kolchak running into Mulder and Scully. That would have been my story I wrote, because being able to have those characters play off of each other would have been amazing. And it feels like that felt like a natural thing. And obviously Chris Carter and them did that in X-Files. So I, you kind of get it. 
a, a little bit. I mean, Aguamala is a is a really bad episode, unfortunately. But for me, that would have been my story to tell with Kolchak because it's blending the things that I love that brought me to Kolchak. What about you, Mike? What would your Kolchak story be? Kolchak fights monsters. The end. <laughs> Mike's a purist. Some really good monsters, yeah. Invisible monsters. Yeah, no invisible monsters, thank you very much. The Mark of Cain. I mean, there have been so many things that we've talked about that are like Kolchak. I don't know if anything really measures up to it, but again, going back to your earlier point, it's the Kolchak of those first two movies that I really like the most, because he seems desperate. He's He's seems like he's a man living on the edges much more Down on his luck yeah i mean he he's a hard drinker it seems like he's a womanizer and he seems so tame on the tv show yep i agree and that that the tv show's tone was always the issue that i've had is that it was too jokey it wasn't serious and how can it be when he's fighting an invisible monster and at first, I thought that that came from the relationship that he had with the other people in the newsroom. But the more that we've talked over this uh, whole series of podcasts, the more I've fallen in love with Updike and Miss Emily and, of course, Vincenzo. And the more I actually wanted them to be on Adventures with Carl, at least a little bit more presence than what he ended up having with them. And I don't know how much this played into the development of the stories, but the show was on at eight o'clock and I was eight years old when I was watching it. And I was watching it with my brother and my cousins and they were all, you know, none of them were more than 12. And now that I'm an adult, people my age discovered the show at that age. I think they became aware that kids were watching the show and kids were really into it. And, and I think maybe that sort of fed into all right, maybe let's not have him drinking in bars and sleeping with hookers. Let's have him be, you know, let's have it be a family. You know, he doesn't get along with his brother, you know, Ron Updike. Dad Vincenzo is always yelling at those two. And and Grandma Emily is, you know, hanging around. And, and it just, it, it, it became much more kind of family-friendly, TGIF, friendly so that you know the people who are watching it could keep watching it it's like one of my favorite movies fletch um which if you've read the books by jeffrey mcdonald they are like jeffrey rice's kolchak i mean he is a mature character and in the movie he's not a mature character i mean he's still smart alecky but it's more comedic for i wouldn't say teenagers but kind of and it's that same thing. I mean, in the in the initial Fletch book, he fucks up like a, a teenager and like she dies. And that's you're never going to put that in the movie because they want him to be a sympathetic character. But my point being is, like you said, with Kolchak, at least we got to see in one version of Kolchak in the medium of film or TV. At least we got to see that version of Kolchak that's closer to what Jeffrey Rice intended. Because that's always been, for me, the biggest disappointment with my other favorite investigative journalist, Fletch, is that the, you never see that in in his version. It's always kind of the jokey guy, which is it works. But Kolchak, I do like that we do get to see even just that little two episode, you know, movies, feature length movies of him. But again, yeah, like reading that Executioner script really made me yearn for more of that, which, again, the show just didn't provide. 
Well, it's been a lot of fun talking about Kolchak for the last three years, even talking about... Three years next month. Yeah, even talking about the reboot was kind of fun. There were some good times. We did it justice. I want to thank John Walker for doing our theme music. Always appreciated. I'm hoping that I can maybe talk to John into scoring our next podcast if we do that, or maybe the Rankin on Bass um, <laughs> podcast. Wow. This shit's going to happen. Are we just going to, I think we should add just the three of us yet another podcast to the ever growing stable of podcasts. Well, I'm not doing this dreams for sale thing anymore, so might as well. <laughs> wow. Boy, that's just dissolved real quick. Dreams sure for not happening anymore. <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for being a part of this. And thank you, Richard, for actually listening to us and wanting to come on board and be our co-host on many of these episodes. You guys, it was the greatest discovery. Uh, I, and I'm so glad I found you. I, I, I realize now I found you about a year and a half into your journey, but I'm glad I could uh, help drag you across the finish line. And here's the thing, folks. Do not hesitate to reach out to your favorite podcasters because look what happens. Look what happens. It's a success story in reality. People really win. You make friends. You make <laughs> friends and you get to be on podcasts and talk about fun stuff. we got to get to work on ranking on bass. <laughs> and I want to thank you so much, Chris, for coming on this journey, for being brave enough to uh, volunteer to be part of this. Again, and I've said this before, and I'll say this again, and I, I am a emotional guy at my core, whether or not Richard believes me. This is the first podcast I have ever done that has wrapped. This is it. This is the final episode of this show. I mean, we're going on and doing Barney Miller, but the Kolchak tapes, for all intents and purposes, is done here. And so I'm so thankful, Mike, that you... You know, you said yes to me being your co-host. I am thankful for the opportunity, and it has been a lot of fun. And if you haven't liked my opinion, that's okay, because it's just my opinion. It's not yours. That's a perfect way to end. <laughs>